0: This episode of the Digiday podcast is sponsored by Kiwi. If you're a publisher, you should know Kiwi. Publishers like the New York Times, Condé Nast, National Geographic, and BBC, they all use Kiwi to distribute content profitably on Facebook. Learn more at Kiwi.co. That's K-E-Y-W-E-E.co. Kiwi, making stories relevant and powerful. Hello and welcome to the DigiDay podcast. I'm Brian Marcy, Editor-in-Chief at DigiDay. Today's episode is from our DigiDay Plus live podcast event that we held last week at Bleacher Reports offices here in New York City uh, with their CRO, CMO, Howard Mittman. Uh, they have a great office. It even has a basketball court. Uh, we discussed long-form versus short-form video content. Um, Howard's belief that there are a lot of need publishers out there that will win over the feed publishers, um, the Facebook newsfeed change, of course, and diversifying from display advertising. Howard also compares BuzzFeed's brand to Sharper Images brand. So that's an interesting one. Hope you enjoy it. OK, thank you all for being here. Um, this is our second ever Digiday live podcast. Um, I want to welcome Howard Mittman. Howard is the CRO and CMO of Bleacher Report. Howard, welcome. Thanks for having me. Okay, so before we get started, I want to um, remind everyone, it is a live podcast. You can make noises. It's fine. Um, If you do want to, we're going to have questions at the end for you to ask that I missed um, to give the really hard ones to Howard. But also, while uh, you are um, listening, if any questions p- pop to mind, use a hashtag on like Twitter, uh, do Digiday Podcast live, and uh, we will also be grabbing uh, questions from there. Awesome. So Howard, this adds an element of unpredictability to the podcast. Can
1: I phone a friend or is this: <laughs> yeah.
0: So you're about six months in. 12 yeah. years at Conde Nast. I'm going to ask you the sort of the, the resume question) um, mm-hmm. What's been the biggest difference being at a sort of digital pure play like Bleacher uh, versus being within a the walls of a very traditional media company like Condé?
1: Yeah, um, I'll get to the differences maybe. I think the similarities are, there's a lot of really smart people, right? There, there's a lot of people who are passionate about brands. I think the similarities between Bleacher Report and Condé Nast are, are stronger than the differences. The, the differences are obvious, right? You you have different distribution mechanisms. You have, um, you know, the obvious need to manage decline and shift out to you know create a change in your revenue mix. Um, at Bleacher Report, our legacy business is display media. Like, I'll I'll take that all day long, um, but. Uh, the similarities, like I said, there's a lot of smart people, there's a lot of people who are really passionate about uh, premium brands, uh, really protective of those brands. And um, I think that the similarities are uh, are probably stronger than you would think from the outside, even though the way that we go about our business um, and the kinds of content we put out are, are just vastly different. So operating in a much more fluid
0: environment uh, in digital media, for sure. I have to ask you the Facebook question. Facebook okay. news feed, they, sort of, they broke up with news, if you will. It affects a lot of different people a, a lot differently. We've been getting a lot of um, traffic off this. It's great for us. Yeah. We're a winner. I, um, but there's a I, lot. I get the
1: newsletter. I know. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know,
0: I know. <laughs> Are we overdoing it?
1: Don't answer that. That's, yeah. Um, I, I'm in sales. You I figure always that ta- out. I
0: always, tell, I always tell our staff too, too many stories rather than too, too few when it comes yeah. to this one. Because I do think that we're in a bit of a shift. It's been coming on for a couple of years. Yeah. And um, this is sort of maybe a, a cherry on the top of it. Uh, explain why this is not a bad thing for bleacher.
1: I think in reality, you know, what happened over the last couple of years is Facebook's made some pretty significant changes to the algorithm, right? Um, I would argue that those changes that have been made in the, you know, the dark of night, if you will, um, were probably bigger than the, the move made recently. I, I would also say that um, for a brand like Bleacher Report, we never bought followers, you know, it's been organic. And that, that's a huge difference. Um, we're not overly reliant on that distribution mechanism. There there are businesses whose models exist entirely to arbitrage that traffic opportunity on, on Facebook.
0: You can name names here. I mean, this is a safe space. Yeah,
1: no, I my PR person's right over there. She almost had a heart attack when you said <laughs> I, that. I literally just yeah, heard Tiger. She said no, yeah. <laughs> but I... I'll, I'll say this, I, the way I see the, the media world right now, it's broken out into two distinct categories. There's need and there's feed, right? Um, need is, is something that has higher level of engagements, higher level of shareability, higher level of passion. Um, take sports out of it, because I think it's, it's sort of obvious to see that. There are other categories. Um, if I worked at Bloomberg, I would be really psyched about this moment, because if you're into uh, finance and you, you need to know what GE closed at, you're gonna go in and no matter what text you got, no matter what blinks or beeps, you're gonna push that aside and you're gonna to get to um, exactly what that closing price was, right? That's a need, it's a, it's a deep-rooted passion and it's timely and it changes multiple times a day. There's a reason to engage and re-engage. Sports is the same way, right? Sports culture is the same way. So we have what I would call a really horizontalized vertical and we get to tap into that. I'd say that 25% of content, this is a, I'm making these numbers up, but 25% of the content that we consume is in need. I think everything else is feed. And so inside of feed is things you're happy to consume, but you're not as engaged. You're not spending as much time with it. You're not sharing it. When it pops up, okay, I'll see. Yeah, I'll watch your brownie recipe get made by, you know, in a hands and pans video. But I don't necessarily look for it. And so I think what's happening now is the brands that have been subsisting off of feed versus focusing on premium content and need are, they're having a reckoning. And and I think Facebook's doing this for a lot of reasons. They need to make sure that they have better... um, Community inside of the app, which is dying, and so they're they're doing not the not the Facebook's dying, but I think their their sense of community is is waned, mm-hmm. and so they need to get back to doing what they need to do, which is protect their O and O. And I think publishers are starting to remember they shouldn't have forgotten. It's not their O and O.
0: Mm-hmm. So what percentage of traffic is Facebook for you?
1: Ninety nine percent now. Uh, it's <laughs> uh, yeah, it's twelve percent right now. So twelve percent, and mm-hmm. that like, and that has gone down over the years. Yes, it has gone down over the years. You know, I think what happened is back in like 2013, Facebook was the best friend a publisher could have because they valued premium content and that fit into their ecosystem of community and sharing and getting people to share the best stories that they saw with their friends, right? With their families, with their followers. that changed over time and it became a volume-based thing. So the more content you could put out, the more that it would get shared. I think Facebook is taking a necessary step for their business. That might not fit everyone else's business. It doesn't hurt us. And I think there's a lot of brands that are very exposed right now. But to me, those brands are feed. And I don't see them as being, uh, I don't mourn their you know, disappearance or their challenge. So Bleacher has always been very aggressive with
0: trying to get me to download your app. Mm. The app is very important, right? <laughs>
1: Have we come to your house in the dead of night?
0: Yeah. Maybe, uh, but talk to me about like the app and its distribution and how. Yeah. I mean, is that the sort of is that the new O and I mean, for it, Bleacher, it's going to be different forever.
1: Yeah, it, it absolutely is the O and O. I mean, it, it's not going to be desktop, right? That that is. I've said this before. I view desktop the way that premium, uh, you know, luxury stores on Madison Avenue view those retail experiences. They're important. You kind of have to be there. It has to look good, but it, it's really a branding exercise. It's a small percentage of your overall business. For us, the app is is everything. It gives us control. Um, we sit on top of a wealth of data. You know, so if you're a consumer, the app is where you consume the sports and sports culture content you care about. If you are a marketer, the app is the beating heart of the American sports fan. We own the social graph. We know what people do. We know what people think. We know what they share. We know what they're into, when they're into it. And so we're getting really good at asking the right questions from that data and starting to figure out a lot of very interesting things that are guiding um, everything from the you know uh, partnership we have with UEFA and, and, and purchasing those rights for broadcast on Turner down to, you know, better understanding the way that sports uh, fans are getting their information not from teams and leagues. It's not about shields and discs as much. It's about the direct connection that players have with fans. Mm -hmm. So,
0: but it's still a smaller percentage of your audience, right?
1: About 40%. Okay, so it's it's
0: actually fairly large as far as percentage goes. Yeah. Okay, so talk to me a little bit, I mean, because I think Bleacher is unique in that it's, sort of digital pure play, but it's owned by a gigantic company in Turner.
1: Yeah, Thank um, God. And,
0: What's that? Thank God. Thank God, yes, uh, that's why you have these lovely offices. Right, totally. Um, exactly. So talk to me about how that changes things, because uh, obviously Turner um, originally invested quite a bit in, into, yeah. into Bleacher, and Bleacher has changed quite a bit from uh, when Turner bought it. I think it's one of the few real success cases of a big legacy media company buying a digital upstart. Um, but there's talk. Uh, you guys have said that Turner is going to be using Bleacher Report as as an
1: OTT play. Hmm. I can't what? confirm that necessarily. I don't believe. But we well, talked about UEFA. Uh, yeah, I talked. I talked about that, and and from that, that's about the data perspective about how you know we we've been able to look at. I'll give you some examples, like the profile of the. Soccer fan is completely different than the fan graph on any other sport. So if you're a fan of the NFL or the NBA, you follow the team you like. Maybe you follow a couple of players. If you're a fan of soccer, you follow every team, right? Some of that's because of the World Cup and the way that the players change. Some of it's because of UEFA and the way they each, you know play each other in their league. Um, so we have a pretty deep understanding of that from a from a data perspective. As it relates to like BR expanding out, I, I see our value more as being truthfully, a media company inside of a media company. You know, we have a 40-person office in London that has launched BR Football, and BR Football's been a, an incredibly successful enterprise for us. We have BR Kicks, which is where we cover sports and sports culture, a lot of sneakers and things. Um, and we have House of Highlights. House of Highlights maybe the biggest, best example right now for us of a brand that we've launched. It's, it's doing, has about 8 million Instagram followers. It gets about 500 new followers an hour. and. Um, you know, everyone from media executives to uh, most recently, I think it was uh, OBJ, uh, Odell Beckham Jr. for the non-football fans, um, you know, said <laughs> He's that this right is right over there. Yeah, said that the this wall. is the-, the <laughs> Hey, what's up, o? Uh Said <laughs> that, they're, they're on camera, they have no idea. Yeah. Um, but you know, has said that this is the sports center of the future, right? So um, I think we're in a really interesting mode with that. And that's what I like about this business, is the ability to be pliable and flexible and think about Um, high-minded premium ways to engage audiences both for Millennials and for Gen Z.
0: So it's interesting because you talk about the O&O and the app being super important yeah but then I always thought of Bleacher as being very synonymous with the move to distributed media so I had Roy Brown president on this podcast. Uh, Yeah, a little shout out for Rory. Uh, In March 2016, and he said, the current media wars are not going to be won on direct audience numbers. Brand is the big winner, and he was talking about how a distributed, everyone at that point, March 2016, Mm -hmm. needed to have a distributed media strategy. Now with the recent Facebook changes, I think a lot of people are saying, mm, RIP distributed media. Explain the strategy and why it makes sense with not just amassing big numbers on Facebook yeah. or Snapchat or whatever, these places that you don't own, but that you can actually make money off of these audiences.
1: Yeah, uh, so <clears throat> everything that Rory said still holds true for us. Um, you know, m- media, we're, we're both in media, right? Like, we we like to speak in absolute terms. Uh, Rock and roll is dead, okay? Everything's dead, right? The web is dead. I I was at Wired when we wrote that. That was a really fun article to explain to our our web (laughs) clients. Uh, (laughs) So hell, a lot of good sales calls that month. Um, But nothing's in absolute terms. Uh, The distributed web's not dead. Uh, The partnership model's not dead. But it is a recognition, I think, when I'm talking about the app, that we need to continue to build that out and that there is a different level of value perhaps to the kinds of experiences, not just that we tell the consumers, but to the value that it has back to our bottom line. Okay, so let's use an example,
0: Facebook Watch. You're on Facebook Watch. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's Marshawn Lynch's show, right? Um, Are you able to make money there?
1: Yes. Is that a big opportunity or is that a we'll see opportunity? It was a big opportunity in 2017 at launch. Um, whether or not we continue to partner with them, there's a million different variables. Does it make sense for them? Does it make sense for us? You know, I think Facebook Watch has to figure out what it's gonna be. Is it gonna be Netflix or is it gonna be NBC? And inside of that- Or YouTube. Or, or YouTube, right. Um, and so inside of that we, um, we would have to figure out where we fit into that ecosystem, into that plan, and and we we're reevaluating you know video every day. There's a big part of our strategy that, you know, you can't out Hollywood Hollywood. We're I, I don't know. I, I have a lot of friends. thankfully, but you have a studio. I mean, we have a VR studio. entertainment. Right, right. But it's not a lot, you know. Um, and so when you think about it this way, I, I have a lot of friends, thankfully, who are not in media. I don't sit around at dinner with them <laughs> and hear any of them say, you know, gosh, like there's just not enough long form content out there in, <laughs> in video. Like I just can't find it. The, so we also so see when no, you're
0: engaging with them. This is what they.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm also <laughs> I'm doing dry January. So everything's like really off for me this month. <laughs> um, I don't days, like anyone. Eight days. You're yeah, fine. Um, Seriously. Uh, so I think, it, you know, in reality, as it relates to that, we, we see no evidence that consumers want Uh, long-form content any more than they want short-form content. In fact, we see lots of evidence that the consumption of our short-form content performs even better. So what we're more focused on is making sure that the kinds of content we create meet the expectations of the user community and meet the needs of the story we're trying to tell. Sometimes that'll be 30 minutes, 60 minutes, it could be an hour and a half. Sometimes it's going to be three minutes and sometimes it'll just be six seconds. And I think that that's okay, so long as we're telling the right story and not just focusing on how do we go Hollywood because that seems to be the next VC trend. So I'm gonna put
0: Facebook Watch as TBD. I'm gonna put it down as TBD. Snapchat, uh, you guys were on earlier I think in the UK than you were here, you're you're on Snapchat. Um,
1: Is there real money there? For Evan there is. Yeah. Um look, I I think it depends on how you define real money. Is there real opportunity? Yes. Is there real uh scale? I I suppose I mean, so. CNN pulled out. They said we don't see yeah. we don't see a pathway to profitability yeah. um and so we're not going to do it. <clears throat> I think the thing that will, I mean, there will have to be a little bit more transparency in the numbers, I would think, and that's been echoed. I've heard that on your podcast before. I think that um you know, over time, as from a content production standpoint, there'll have to be more portability of that content. So that which you create for Snapchat needs to more elegantly and seamlessly be able to be distributed to other parts of your business. Um, that currently is not the case for a number of reasons that I think would bore most people listening. So um, creating for Snapchat right now is an exercise in doing just that, creating for Snapchat. Uh, if we can You've get... got the Snapchat teams. Yes, but if we can get closer to a create ones Distribute Everywhere model, which is why video still remains the lingua franca of our business um, Then that becomes a lot more interesting Okay, let's
0: move on to uh, one other platform for uh, move on Uh, Instagram because you guys are huge on Instagram. You mentioned House of Highlights Um, I'm actually gonna have Omar from House of Highlights on a podcast uh, in a little bit but Explain a little bit for those who do not know what House of Highlights is and how? uh, giant it's become?
1: Yeah, so uh, House of Highlights is a place to get all the best sports content, uh, not just that which happens on the court, but that which happens around the court in the world of sports culture. So it could be everything from LeBron taking off from the free throw line and doing a great dunk to Westbrook dancing to a team of kids in the street who just decided to rollerblade and play soccer and did some baller move that just, you know, sets the world on fire, or at least for the moment. So. Um, what we found there is what's happened, interestingly, in, is inside of that feed, conversations that used to take place in text messages between athletes and celebrities are now taking place in that feed. So you're just as likely to see LeBron and Drake going back and forth in that feed as you are to see you know, me and my 12-year-old son, which does happen, right? right. So um, it's a really interesting thing because so it, has it has- 8
0: million followers, but
1: the, I think what's interesting is that it has a cultural impact. A massive cultural impact. Yeah. It, it, 8 million followers, it grows at about 500 followers an hour, um, and it is uh, an, a really interesting model for us because we've made it invitation only. We have an editorial board that has to approve every partner. We're keeping that level of investment from advertising partners really small. We don't want to ruin what it can potentially be by um, you know, breaking it now. And so all the, the partnerships that we do are um, custom and bespoke. All the partnerships that we're doing have to be approved by that editorial board. And all of the um, executions we're doing with partners are invitation only. So we're in a fortunate situation. We're able to go out to brands who are dying to work with us and try to create uh, special, unique, viral moments. And that, that's working really well.
0: Okay. So, I mean, that's a good, it's a good problem to have at this moment. So
1: you're able to make money off
0: of Instagram right now and you can, and you can probably make a lot more, you would think.
1: For sure. We, we, we could do probably don't listen to this anyone in the room from finance, but we, we could, we could do a lot more money on that platform this year than we are, but we need to be protective of that user base. Okay. Um, so when you, you, mentioned
0: before about the sort of VC-funded publications. And I think a lot of what we're calling the pivot to reality is really impacting those that have set gigantic expectations. They've taken gigantic rounds of funding. Mm -hmm. Uh, The number they need to hit might be a billion. It might be 1.3.
1: It could be two. Right. Um,
0: Where do you see? Do you see that sort of pivot to reality when it comes to, to media?
1: yeah without question i mean i think we're seeing it now Uh, a lot of the layoffs you're seeing in in these vc-backed companies they you know building towards valuation is one thing building towards profitability and uh long-term connection and investment in that user community is another. And so uh, we're paying really close attention to that. And I think what's going to be most interesting is not what has happened at the end of 17, but what's going to happen in in the middle of 18 uh, and out into early 19 as these companies that have gotten very used to uh, growing and subsidizing the changes that they need to implement to stay relevant based on those huge infusions of capital that have come in. When they can't take on those infusions of capital, you're going to start to see big cuts. And when you start to see the big cuts, that's going to come from the obvious and obvious places. And I think they're going to... You can to, name names. Yeah, I probably could. Um <laughs> but I have friends in lots of places. (laughs) Um, But when they can't take on that capital, uh, I think we're gonna see a reckoning. So they got hooked on the the constant rounds of capital. Of course. Look, just do the math. There's no six X multiple anymore. That doesn't exist. So if you haven't sold, you're lucky to get a three X multiple. And if you're gonna get a three X multiple on a $200 million business, that doesn't equal a 1 or $2 billion valuation, it just doesn't work. So we know who's going to get the money out first. It's going to be the really smart bankers that got in early. <laughs> and then the, you know, the big media companies that invested after are, eh, it's going to get dicey. And the people who work there, it's going to be tough.
0: But in many cases, I mean, they're building lasting brands. I think are that's they? sometimes lost. I, I think a lot of them. Are I, they? Think, I think BuzzFeed is. You do? Yeah. Why? I think that every single, I think they actually mean something to a lot of people who, say, are under the age of 25. They've grown up with BuzzFeed.
1: Agree to disagree.
0: Quick break for a word from our sponsor, Kiwi. You've probably heard that Facebook is changing its newsfeed in many ways yet again. Distributing your content cost-effectively on Facebook is more important than ever, and it's also harder than ever. Kiwi helps hundreds of publishers like The New York Times, Condé Nast, National Geographic, and BBC do just that. Whether you're looking to drive more traffic, increase video viewership, drive subscriptions, or even sell products— Kiwi can find and target the audience that matter the most to you at the very best price. Visit kiwi.co to learn more. That's K E Y W E E.co. Kiwi, making stories relevant and powerful. Thank you for your support, Kiwi. Check them out.
1: Okay, give me the case that BuzzFeed is not building a brand. I think BuzzFeed's building a brand. I think it's building a a long-term, meaningful brand that is in line with the valuation, not a chance in hell. No,
0: not in line with the valuation. But I'm just saying the valuation, the valuation.
1: uh, Sharper Image has a great brand. I I grew up in the 80s. Those back scratchers (laughs) were everything. So I, BuzzFeed is the sharper
0: image of modern media? You, you said that. I, I, I said I like the back I scratcher. I paraphrased what you were saying. Yeah. Say it back to me and we can write it down. Yeah. I think I said it. Yeah, But who else? So I, this is a very interesting one, actually. Uh, because actually, you know, Dave Finocchio, who's also on the podcast, had said that uh, sites that have, um, he was on in, last January, and he said, sites that have Honest to God, fans and loyal readers yeah. will be fine. Yep. Sites that have passerby readers are dead, and then he said they are dead.
1: <laughs> For effect, I assume. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I think that was effect. Yeah, uh, I agree. Look, to me, that's need versus feed. I, I think that 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 just calls it out. There, there is content that you crave. There is content you're passionate about. There is content that you will you, you seek out. It is almost like appointment consumption, right? Um, feed is everything else and I think a lot of those brands fall into feed it doesn't mean they don't do great work it doesn't mean that they don't occasionally have great stories and break news and it doesn't mean that there aren't really great examples of it but whether or not these are brands and I'm not speaking specifically about BuzzFeed I don't mean to pick on them at all like, um, but it doesn't mean that they're building long term brands that are anything more than you know pop up shops in the world of Facebook
0: yeah I mean and we saw that with the pivot to video it became
1: a joke last year Um, How many guys guys can move from Brooklyn to L.A. and get a convertible and, you know, stare at the Hollywood sign with their Warby Parkers? Like, we got it, you know, but like you, you can't you can't out Hollywood Hollywood. There's just too much content. And I don't think that if everybody is running in the direction of that model, what are the odds that that's the right direction to move in? Okay. I mean, but this
0: again goes back to BuzzFeed, right? I mean, because then you took it. Jonah literally moved to L.A. Uh, (laughs) But explain how. I don't even know
1: Jonah. I mean,
0: (laughs) but explain explain how, uh, you know, like BR entertainment then. Because, I mean, you're making a bet in that area. Game of Zones. I mean, you're there's clearly elasticity Mm -hmm. to the Bleacher Report brand that goes beyond uh, sports because it's sports and it's culture.
1: So Game of Zones is a great example. Game of Zones. Season four did 40 million views, and we have everyone from Mark Cuban to Joel Embiid to Steph Curry tweeting about it as fans, right? Um, it's a really interesting satirical look at the NBA through the lens of pop culture. Um, if you look at the, the views that are happening there, not just 40 million, because I think the numbers in media are just so staggering, they don't mean anything anymore. Right. Um, they don't to me anyway, although I say them because I'm in sales and that's what you say. Um, but. When you, when you think about it, we had a 72% completion rate on YouTube for Game of Zones. 72%, that is so significantly higher than almost anything out there. Um, and that speaks to, I think, the short form content that I was speaking about. It speaks to uh, branded content experiences that connect with consumers that are live time, that tap into existing passions. Um, and I think it also speaks to the media company and media company model as we start to expand out into other areas that becomes a really interesting brand to stand on its own.
0: Mm-hmm. So, talk to me about the diversification from display. You, you call display yeah. the legacy business. Yeah, I mean it's the legacy business of the internet, basically. Right. Um, how do you diversify away from that?
1: Yeah, the pivot to social monetization for us is, has been a really big one. So that that's been really successful. Um, you know, as we look out, the app is clearly something in developing ad products and experiences and opportunities to personalize the shared experience of um, uh, sports content, that, that's gonna be a really big uh, evolution for us. Um, and and I think uh, making sure that we're crafting and creating uh, opportunities for consumers to engage in the brand, whether it be at live experiences or through e-commerce, and that there's gonna be a big shift towards uh, making sure that we're monetizing all that. that. I, I don't know, how many t-shirts can you really sell to move the needle on a business of this size? But I think it's an important part of Deepening the consumer connection that you have, uh, and it also could be a nice revenue spike. So, it is too much made
0: of these commerce departments at publishers? I mean, they are yeah. they are incremental, and when I hear incremental,
1: I I think small. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I I think so. I mean, I, I I don't envision the bleacher equivalent of Trump University or Bleacher stakes or you know any anything like that coming down the. The pike. And I think the reality of some of that licensing business is is you have to be willing to put your brand at risk. You have to be willing to... um know that eight out of ten of these things aren't going to do well. You and did like
0: Hoodie mellow. We right? did.
1: Yeah, we did Hoodie Mello. Um, and I think that's a great example. So, you know, uh, Omar from House of Highlights uh, went down, watched Mello playing. Uh, he had a tough year. He was in the middle of, uh, you know, negotiation of, for his contract, being traded, uh, and he just saw him shooting around. And he had that hood up and he said, that looks really cool. And he took a video of it and he posted it with a with a pithy comment. And that has now come to identify Carmelo Anthony's entire brand out of that post. Um, you know, there, there's a, a line of clothing, I think, coming out for it. We launched a, a, a hoodie similar to the one that we we made in a cartoon that he was wearing uh, just as a test. I think we sold 100 of them at $60 a piece as literally just a test. Um, and it... Uh, It sold out in like a couple of hours. And so we we think that that's a very small bit of evidence that there is a greater desire for fans and users to interact with Bleacher Report in a variety of ways, commerce and uh, clothing amongst them.
0: But it sounds like you're not that optimistic on this business of something happens in a sports game, let's rush out a bunch of t-shirts to
1: capitalize on. I'm optimistic depending on the size of your business. If you're a $10 million business, a $4 million t-shirt department is a big deal. We're a much, much larger business than that. Um, those businesses also play IP whack-a-mole. So you can't tell me that uh Christoph's poor Zingas or Tom Brady's agents or them themselves are happy about their likeness being stolen and used in that, in that commerce experience. So what do you do? You, you make a t-shirt, you put it up, you know it's illegal to use it, you get a cease and desist order, but you've already sold three to 5,000 of them, so you take it down. Then you put up another one the next week and you just keep doing it. It's a whack a mole system, right? And so, um, it worked for YouTube. It worked for YouTube. We're much bigger business now than some of the other players that are doing that. We're also owned by Turner. Right. So and you can play fast. We own with IP. lots of IP. Okay. Um, we're building our own IP. So um, I think there are opportunities to do that. I think some of the examples that I've seen out there are um, pretty egregious and, and, and shady. 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 Okay. Are you yeah. talking about Barstool? You're talking about that. <laughs> I'm talking about sharper image.
0: But let's just stay on.
1: <laughs> let's just stay
0: on Barstool for a minute here. Um, you know, they they, uh, churn and put in more money. Leave the valuation stuff aside. I don't mm. think that really makes sense. But um, what I thought was interesting about uh, that coming out was this idea that they were really heavily leaning on these non-ad models, that yep. there was this idea of barstool-themed, I don't know, wings restaurants or, or hmm. whatnot. Um, what is- you, you imagine th-
1: being a bouncer there?
0: <laughs> It'd be a busy job, yeah. a busy job. Um, or they have very lax standards, I don't
1: know, it depends on what, what, the, what they go for. Uh, what did you think of that? I think it's interesting. I think they run a nice little business, I, I do. Um, I'm, I'm in, I I'm. watch them, I'm intrigued by them. They're not a competitor. We, they don't really actually have anything to do with sports. Um, they have to do with a, you know, a bro culture. And I, I think that's, a. like I said, it's a nice little business for them. Um, I think they punch above their weight. I, I respect what they Very do. Very loyal fan base. Yeah, I, I respect what they do. I think, um, you know there are elements that I, I see in them that that are cultish, and I mean that in a really good way. I think that's a really hard thing to do, but they're not a competitor. And so if I had their kind of content, I would be focused on non-advertising revenue streams too, because <laughs> brand safety is a really big deal. Um, so I think they're smart. I respect what they do. Like everyone else, I watch sort of what they're doing as a me- you know media hobbyist or you know someone mm-hmm. invested in this this space. Um, But we we don't devote too much thought to them because what they do is really different. I I don't see us ever... but you you don't know, get, see, I don't see us ever getting guys from the loading docks to just fistfight and charging people money. It, it's good for them, and, and I, I again, I respect what they do, but it's not who we are. We could have done that
0: instead. it would. I'll fight you, I mean, for charity, yeah, totally. <laughs> We're going to do that afterwards, yeah. actually. Um, Howard's like three times the size of me, so I'm not sure how it's going to go. Um, so anyway... You have speed. You got, speed. You got I do, speed. I do have speed. Yeah. I'm very nimble. Um, <laughs> But what I think is interesting is, and look, they're forced to do it, right? But we see like people even like tastemate and stuff talk about using their brand and trying mm-hmm. to, to use it in ways that are well beyond media. And and you guys talk about being a lifestyle brand.
1: Yeah. R- Rory's for sure. talked
0: to me about it. Yep. Um how elastic is that with getting into sort of non-media businesses? I know you guys had a pop-up with Kith. Mm-hmm. Because sports and culture are intertwined to such a degree that yeah. I can imagine it would be very tempting mm. to have, you know, a bleacher sports cafe at LaGuardia. <laughs>
1: you think? Um, <laughs> I Look, I, I think the worlds of sports and sports culture are converging in a variety of ways. I, I find it fascinating. You know, we were speaking off camera, the, the stadium tunnel is the new men's runway. NBA players matter more to fashion than um, anyone on the planet yeah. right now. Russell uh, Westbrook.
0: I mean, he's like the famous, most famous model in the know, world. Probably. Right.
1: So, uh, you know, their builds are perfect for it. They, they're fashion forward. They all have stylists. It's become a competition. And so that's a big part of that experience. And, and so as um, that evolves and sports and sports culture goes into, you know, new places, that opens up real significant opportunities for the partnership we did with Kip for others. I don't know that there is a natural extension for us, like a tasty to sell pots and pans, you know? Um, But I do think that there are real significant opportunities that we have in and around uh, categories that would have traditionally seemed um, out of the realm of possibility for a sports brand even three years ago.
0: Why do you think the NBA has been so good with this? I was like wondering today about why, like they are like
1: the perfect modern sports league. They are. So the old model of sports was about leagues and teams. The new model of sports is about the connection that players have with fans. The connection they have with with them happens almost exclusively on social media. Right. So uh, what the NBA has done, they benefit from A, not having to wear helmets. That's a huge deal. B, a basketball player walks in the room, you know they're a basketball player. Baseball player is just a dude, right? You have no idea. Yeah. Um, if they're out of uniform, it's hard to tell. Um, they also, uh, the NBA has been really smart about embracing the individuality that the players have. Um, the NBA, outside of politics, is the... Uh, most impassioned and intense soap opera in America right now. It it, it is something that people are engaged with in an intense way. And it's not just what happens on the court. That's what they've been able to do. First off, those plays, those highlights are built for social. Um, What happens off the court matters. You know, I think for on Bleacher Report, 11 of the top 15 content uh, experiences that we had in terms of like traffic and shareability and you know all the metrics you would get from CrowdTangle, happened with off the field activities, having nothing to do with things that happen on the field of play. That's a pretty amazing thing. And so if you're a marketer, right, to take the NBA as an example, the NBA draft is a massive moment. The um, summer leagues in Vegas are a massive moment. Um, What the trading season is a massive moment. So now, The traditional model, if you're a marketer, was to say, okay, we start spending a tip-off and we end when the confetti comes down and the trophies are handed out. The new model is figuring out, all right, this direct connection that players and fans have lasts 365. This is a soap opera that doesn't stop, that has no seasonality. So you have to start thinking about, How do you spend either more dollars or take those dollars that you have and spread them out over the course of the year? Because the intensity of connection that fans have to players and the enthusiasm for the game doesn't stop with the season Mm -hmm. anymore. And so that creates a whole new area of opportunity for us to tell stories, for us to engage community members, for us to create partnerships with advertisers, on what would have traditionally been considered off-cycle. And I think the NBA, better than anyone else, because those pickup games, you don't have a lot of pickup NFL games. It's just, it's not going to happen, right? So um, because of the way the sport is developed, because of the speed of it, because of the culture of it, the visibility of it, and the way that the league has embraced social, it, it, it is doing some really interesting things that I think the only other sport that can mirror it is soccer, and that's so, why we're so in on yeah. it.
0: Yeah, so on the flip side is the NFL, which is kind of the yeah. most like unmodern brand, but when you look at the numbers, they're gigantic. Mm. Like, I mean, the, the NFL is gigantic. Yep. Um, but yeah. it's obviously been a rough year for them. You know, they're getting attacked by all sides, from from Trump to some of the ratings are not great. Is the NFL in decline? I mean, do you see it in like the sort of
1: activity? Because I mean, you guys reach a younger demographic. I I think defined decline, you know? I I think, so if you look at our, we we ran some interesting data. I said, you know, we think of our app as the heartbeat of the American sports fan, right? And uh, when we we look at that, uh, I can tell you for um, pregame shows and highlight shows, postgame shows, men 18 to 34. Uh, Those NFL shows unilaterally were down 19% year over year in terms of viewership. So if you're not a marketer, you hear that and you say, football's dying. Mm, I don't know that it's dying. Um, It's changing, viewership habits are changing, consumption habits are changing. So what we see is, we then look at our app and we say, that exact time for the pregame shows and the postgame shows for that exact demo, 18 to 34, Bleacher Report consumption of NFL content is up 119 percent year over year. Yeah. So where they're viewing the content is changing. I think their love for the content, their appreciation for it, their desire for it is there, but the consumption habits are changing much faster than anyone could have predicted.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of the the, the pregame and postgame shows they're just like the mushy middle. So if you're like totally in. Like you can get so much like oh. on your phone, yeah. Um, and then if you're a casual, you you can I can well. follow the NBA
1: through House of Highlights fine without. You, you might be tethered to the linear set top experience for the game because there's a commun- like a community element to that, right? Um, but are you going to do it for the pregame show and the postgame show, or can you do that while you're in line at Pottery Barn? I think. You know, the, the mobile devices give you a flexibility and a freedom so that you don't have to be held hostage in the same way. And Bleacher Report, that's why Turner owns Bleacher Report. They recognized early that this was happening, and they've put our brand and the entire company in a position to benefit from that in ways that most other um, sports brands or sports mm-hmm. media brands can't.
0: One more quick break uh, to tell you about an event we're having. Um, It is a hot topic one day event here in New York City, and it is about the future of TV. This is on February 15th. It's going to be a great event that looks at all things OTT and how the TV business model is morphing. Speakers include Scott Havens from Bloomberg to talk about its new Twitter streaming network, TikTok. Former Digiday podcast guest uh, Nick Asheim is also going to be there uh, from NBC News Digital. And also Rich Owl from Amazon and many more great uh, speakers. And the best part, it is hosted by our very own Seheel Patel. Find out more on our website at digiday.com. Just go to the events tab on the menu bar. Okay, so final thing, ESPN. They're a competitor?
1: Yeah, uh, yeah sure, let's say. Kind of? Sure, yeah. Uh they're in decline. Yes. I think they've had a tough year. I don't know decline how you it. Okay, not that. secular decline.
0: I mean it's just because they they're yeah. so tied to sports rights. Um I don't know that it's sports
1: I think it's easy to say that sports rights is the challenge there. I think the bigger challenge is to just have too much need to fill content, you know? There's too many networks. There's too much volume. Um, They still do some great stuff. They're still going to be the biggest player in the room. But do you really need the Ocho? Uh, You know, not really, right? (laughs) So, and what are you going to put on it at 3 a.m. on a Tuesday? Well, this is actually kind of the NFL problem, right? They put too much product out there. I think the Thursday night games uh, have been a challenge. I think the players don't like it. Clearly, they've spoken out about that. And I think it's created some problems because I think scarcity, like we're using on... Uh, House of Highlights is a really good business model. You can hold people hostage all day Sunday. When it becomes too available and you lose that scarcity model, I think it gets harder. and We might be seeing that happening in the NFL.
0: Okay. Uh, I want to open up to questions. Christian Nieri, uh he uh, says, what role this is emojified, so I'm going to read the emojis. Can you act them out? <laughs> what role will soccer ball emoji, fastest growing sport in American flag emoji. Play for BR in the US going forward with the World Cup and Turner's
1: Champions League rights. Uh, There's a massive bet on soccer. It will play an enormous role. Um, But we're terrible at it. You and I, or, yeah. Americans are terrible at it. We're not in the World Cup. The World Cup's going to be nothing here. uh, See, I I don't don't agree with that. I think that what's happening. Is, so, so look at the followers that um, you know the biggest biggest soccer stars have, the followings they have. A lot of that's global. A lot of that's domestic. I think there's a lot of intense interest. So, you, you mentioned you know folks who think that certain uh, newer brands have are, are you know premium and have stick, staying power. I think a lot of those same people, according to our data and our fan graphs, are really into soccer. From what we can tell, all the cool kids are in um, fantasy leagues for soccer and they're not for other sports that they used to be. So um, yeah, it would have been great if America made the, the World Cup, clearly from a fan perspective, from a business perspective, but I don't think that impedes any of the ability we have to tell those stories and find those connections. And I really honestly believe, as I said earlier, that the experience that we will have with soccer were more, could more closely mirror the experience we've had with the NBA than any other sport. These these guys um, love this country. They, they you know the U.S. is a huge part of uh, where they need to be. They all love L.A. just like the NBA players do. They're leaning on each other. They're forging friendships. Um, we're investing a lot of time, energy, and money into that. And I think um, you know for thirty years we've been talking about soccer as the next big thing. I I really think we're on the verge of soccer actually being the big thing.
0: Okay. So the other one uh, that came in uh, through Periscope is. What does Bleacher Report think of Amazon, Facebook, and Twitter getting into the sports broadcasting rights business? How would it affect your use of content already exposed across these powerful platforms? It's a big one.
1: Yeah. I think it's interesting. They're trying to bring you deeper and further into their ecosystem. So I think sports is a great way to do that. And I think they're, they figured that out just the way that Turner figured that out, the way that ESPN figured that out, Fox figured that out, uh, and I think they're just another competitor in, in the landscape, but I, I don't see them as like completely changing the game. I think it gives more opportunities to the leagues, um, and I, I think it will offset some of what could potentially be the natural decline in in live viewership, as you've mentioned, you've already experienced with mm-hmm. you know the way that social media, like brands like House of Highlights have Change your consumption habits. Yeah.
0: Okay. Uh, I want to open it up to questions. We have a few microphones. Hi. Over
1: here. So you talk about the um, great fan connection and wanting to hear from the players. What do you think of the players' tribute? Oh. Ooh. Um, I think that tri- I think it's an interesting business. I think um, you know it's it's probably more of an AP wire uh, than than it is a news site, uh, and I think there's a reason why our editors. You know, uh, have jobs because they edit themselves, and I think um, you know. Oftentimes, when you read a press release, it's not all that interesting. I think athletes occasionally need to be edited, and they need somebody whose point of view and perspective can help define what is or what is Mm -hmm. not interesting. Um, But I think in in certain pockets, they're they're doing things that are interesting. I don't see them as a big competitor of ours, and it's they're not a brand that. I spend a lot of time thinking about, frankly. Yeah.
0: It's also, it's a hits business, right? I mean, it's kind of like Funny or Die. They would have like one viral hit from uh, Will Ferrell and then you wouldn't hear about Funny or Die for a while and then you'd, they'd have another one. I hadn't thought of it that way. I think yeah. that's interesting. Because it's like the Quentin Richardson thing was
1: amazing. Everyone yeah. should read that. They've it's... had some great, some great moments of success, but in between, I think that's a, re- a much harder thing to do. And I think, you know, think of how many stories you get pitched. right? Yeah. I bet most of them aren't good. Uh, and I think that's true of athletes. So they, as they want to tell their own stories, that's great. It doesn't mean that everything they have to say is worthwhile. Right.
0: Yes. I was wondering uh, which sport or form of sports entertainment gets the most traffic for Beach Liverpool? NBA. Does that include uh, UFC and pro wrestling, too? So it's just sports or sports entertainment. I just want to make sure.
1: We we get the most uh, traffic and uh, from NBA for sure,
0: okay. and there's been, has there been a decline in any other
1: sport? Mm, not that I can think of in any significant way mm-hmm. that offhand. I'm sure there's somebody here from our data science yeah. team who can answer it, but, but I, I. like if you were, I wasn't compa- prepped for that necessarily. If you were to compare that versus a few years ago, like I'm just wondering like whether the NBA, the NBA continues to grow. It it is uh, for all the reasons that we've discussed and mentioned. Um, you know, not the least of which is the partnership we have with Turner and, and the amazing work that they've done for the NBA, with the NBA, um, that, that sport continues to uh, multiply in, in really interesting ways. OK.
0: So much of sports seems to be very video based. But I was wondering, for those that do like to listen, like the audio component, podcast, things yeah. like that, do you guys have a strategy for the rise of things like Amazon Alexa, um, Apple's HomePod, things like that. Like, um, how are you sort of uh, strategizing for that listening experience, maybe even that future customized listening experience?
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, there, there is some thought around audio and what that means, what that will mean to sports, uh, what that will mean to Bleacher Report and, a, and House of Highlights. Nothing I'm ready to share yet. As it relates to podcasts, we have a, a very large podcast strategy. Um, we're really excited about the growth that we have there. And, um, as it relates to sports in general, yeah, highlights are a big deal. So video is going to remain a really big deal. We, we think about content uh, in terms of what we call the cleats strategy. Cleats is cultural leader, entertainment authority, and teams in sports. Teams in sports is the lingua franca of what it means to be a sports website. It's highlights, it's video, it's stats. Um, entertainment authority is like the big, bold, branded bets we'll make. Like the show we did with Facebook watch for Marshawn and then cultural leader. That's more that in between of like sports and sports culture content. So when LeBron, you know, takes off from the free throw line and lands and the screen cracks and the, the backboard explodes um, that really interesting cross section between it. So we think about content in those three disciplines. And then we think about how we can create opportunities across that for uh, brands to fit into it. But video, Will be a, a big part of it, but it's not the extent of it. I mean, we've seen on BR Mag, um, we have a seven minute and thirty two second average time spent for our long form content. That that's insane. You know, you, you you'd be lucky to get that at at a place like Condé Nast or or anywhere else. So um, I think it really shows back to the original thought about video, however long ago it was. I think I'm blacking out at this point. Um, the uh, that we think about stories what's the best way to tell the story for the story and not necessarily making it video or long form or anything else it just starts with like what's the best way to reach the community and i i think a lot about that as i hear brands say we're, you know a few years ago it was like we're digital first and then it was we're mobile first and now we're social first that that always confounds me i i, I it makes no sense to me you need to be community first, and you need to think about how you can best tell that story to reach the community. And then from there, use the best distribution mechanism to do it. Don't jam it into a certain one just because you want to plug that that vertical. I, I never understood that. Okay. Uh, esports is seen as a, one of the fastest growing areas in sports and entertainment, and Turner's also made an investment into that space with some of the content that they've put out there. Um, how are brands engaging you about esports, or are they engaging you, and what's that conversation been like? To date, it, it, it's a really successful, interesting partnership for Turner. Um, it, it is not a huge part of what we do at, at Bleacher. We have some coverage of it. You know, we are we tend to be sports fans, right? And the biggest games uh, in esports don't always tend to be sports games. So um, I, I think that just because you're into sport video games doesn't always translate into first person shooter and other experiences. So we do some But do you
0: consider them sports? Personally? (laughs)
1: That's that means no. (laughs) I I don't know. I think there's a there's a high level of skill and hand eye coordination (laughs) and training. Um, that means sport? no. Bort. I'm, I'm not sure. I just read Ready Player One, so um, okay. I might have a slightly different take on it than I did before. Um, I, I do think I find that a fascinating business, though. And I think if you own an arena, it's an amazing business because you can fill it on a you know random night where it would have sat empty before. Uh, and I think for Turner, it's a really strong business. But yeah. I think um, you know they have to figure out like who are the celebrities. I think if right, what, who's the Tony Hawk of of. Esports, there isn't one yet. Those guys burn out pretty quickly. So, um, if somebody can emerge as that personality, I think that becomes a much more storing for much more interesting story for Bleacher Report because we are ultimately about that connection that players and fans have. So, um, we would need somebody to stand above, uh, and that just hasn't happened yet from my perspective. Okay, one more because Howard is woozy. Hey, uh, you were talking about uh, the app, but the average user downloads zero apps a month. I'm curious to hear about your strategy regarding your mobile website. The average user download is zero a month across. Yeah, consumers. zero apps a month.
0: They don't yeah. add. They don't add apps. Most yeah. people don't add apps.
1: They're they're good. Yeah, I, totally. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Well, I thought you meant like the average for Bleacher Report was zero a month. I was like, I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't think that's the case, sir. <laughs> uh, yeah, look, I think, I think what's happened in, in the app landscape is pretty clear, right? Uh, there are four apps that dominate most people's time. I think Web One, uh, Social 1.0 was about connecting people to the world. I think Social 2.0, uh, App 2.0 is going to be about connecting people to their world. And uh, as that becomes more verticalized, I like our chances. Our app downloads, thankfully, are better than zero a month. Um, The average user on our app has 31 interactions per month with it. Um, And and so that remains really high. Uh, I think it's about 60% or 58% of users um, use it more than four days a week. So we, we, we like that. Now, is that as much as... The text message app, the SMS app, no. Uh, Is it better than most, yeah. And do we see huge opportunity there? We do, so long as we can continue to engage consumers with uh, a frictionless, easy experience that provides value back. Uh, And the good news is, again, sports, business, there are a handful of categories that deeply matter to people that are a need. They're not things that just pop up in your feed. So um, while that might be true as an average, uh, I don't know that it is or it isn't, that that's not a statistic that would like shake me to my core in any way. But how about your guys' mobile website? Yeah, the mobile web has to be a huge part of a, of a strategy, right? That that that's how people are going to engage with it. It's not a desktop experience that matters. So um, I think the thing that that all brands are going to need to do is, is figure out a better um, ad monetization strategy. There, you know, make sure that we're not offering too much pre-roll, make sure that we're not offering too many things that get in the way of the content and that interfere with it. Um, And I think you know, ad tech has come a long way, but I think there's probably a a ways to go. But it is a pretty significant part of our business now. I want to say about 30% or so, 35% comes from mobile web. Okay. Okay,
0: we're gonna leave it there. Howard, thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate appreciate having me. Thank you. Thank you all for listening, and a huge thank you for all of you who came out to the event. I enjoyed meeting with uh, many of you. Um, hope to see you at a future event. This episode was produced by Digiday's Aditi Sengal um, and the incredible team at Bleacher Report. Thank you very much to Bleacher for hosting us. If you liked our show, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And if you want to be at our next event, subscribe to Digiday+. Plus. It's our premium Membership product. Uh, You get a magazine, you get invites to member events like the live podcast, you get access to our Slack community, Uh, you get exclusive research that we have. Um, It is $395 a year, Uh, but if you want a 25% discount, enter the code PODCAST at checkout. We have a competition here about whose discount code can get more redemption, so please do use it. Uh, To learn more, uh, visit digitay.com. You'll see the Digiday Plus. in the in the menu there so thanks again see you next week